too, I'm big and strong? Cool. <laughs> hey, listen, folks. Um, I was at camp this week, and a friend of mine named Gene Rosebeck, who used to be the pastor of Juno, who's now the pastor at Chapel of the Cross, um, was the, the speaker. And he um, asked us, um, he was asked to lead some seminars this week. And um, I sat through them, and I had been planning to preach on God's providence, as I told you a couple weeks ago that I was going to be talking about God's providence. But as I was sitting through yesterday morning's session with Pastor Gene, the Holy Spirit started whispering to me, saying that you guys needed to hear this. So I asked his permission, and he said, of course you can take it. I said, well, of course I'll improve on it, but... um, I told him, I told him, but, but the idea is, is that there's some germs of truth here that I really felt like you guys needed to hear. So um, I'm going to just take us through his seven things an altar will do for us. Seven things an altar will do for us. His, his, his topic was actually called rebuilding the altars of our lives. Um, if you will turn to... Genesis chapter 35. I want to read with you. It's kind of lengthy. Here you go. You want to hold that for me? Cool. It's kind of lengthy, but it's important that we read it so that we can understand what's going on. This is the story, Genesis chapter 35, of Jacob, the son of Isaac, who was the son of... Abraham. So this is the grandson of Abraham. These are the patriarchs of the of Jew of the Hebrew people. Jacob has been 20 plus years or 14 something years. I don't remember how long he was in with his his uh, uncle Laban. He's now returned home. And God, it says, verse verse one of chapter 35 says, God says to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. And build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods that you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings in their ears. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. And then they set out. And the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. And there he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now, Bethel, for those of you who don't know, yeah, mosquitoes. The, the um, Bethel means house of God. Okay. I don't know. They came in the window, I think. Um, I'm going to skip verse 8. Now let's move on to verse 9. After Jacob had returned from Paddan Aran, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And he said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Okay, sweetie, we have to be quiet or you'll have to go sit with your mom, okay? It's okay if you sit here. Okay, your name is no longer going to be Jacob. It'll be called Israel. And so God named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. 
The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. And then God went up from him at that place where he had talked with Jacob, with him. And Jacob set up a stone pillar at that place where God had talked with him. And he poured out a drink offering on it. And he also poured oil on it. And Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Now, first of all, you need to see that God was the one that said, you, Jacob, need to have an altar. And that's a truth that's not just for Jacob. It's literally for every single one of us. We must build an altar. Does that, phys- does that mean we need to physically build an altar rail that we have to go to every single time? Maybe. If you're the type of person that needs that tool... So that you can be intentional about going and building and all. I mean, going to be with God on a regular basis. Maybe you do need to build an altar. Maybe you need to set aside a chair in your house. So that the persons in your household know that when you're seated in that chair. This is quiet time for whomever. Do not disturb. There's an old, old cartoon that I saw years ago that it showed a pastor kneeling before, kneeling before a chair in his office. And the secretary opened up the door and says, oh, good, you're not busy. Because there's this mindset. I just need to ask you a real quick question. No, you don't. When we are gathered before God, for you know what? I'm going to have to ask you to go sit with your mom, okay? I'm sorry, because I know you're going to get bored. Okay. Um, this is going to be very boring. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, is that when you're, when you are with God, it needs to be you and God and no other distractions. And those of you who are watching someone else pray, it needs to be them and God and no distractions. So you protect that time for them. But all of us need to build an altar intentionally going before God on a continual and regular basis. Why? Because there are seven things that an altar will do for you. Number one. An altar for you is a place for you to find sanctity in your life. Look what it said in the in the in Genesis chapter 35 here. He said, Jacob said to his household after God said, build an altar. Jacob verse two says to his household and everyone who was with him, get rid of everything that is foreign. Get rid of the foreign gods. Purify yourselves. Change your clothes. Change your clothes. Literally take the dust of the world off of you. Put on cleanliness. Put on purity. Put on holiness before you go before your God. Gene said yesterday, too many people have the religious side of Christianity and have little knowledge of the Jesus side of Christianity. See, you can come into this building every Sunday faithfully, every day, every Sunday of your life, and never meet with God. Not because God isn't here, but because you didn't come in an appropriate manner before Him. Because God will not have filth in His presence. You need to cleanse yourself of everything before you think you can even walk into God's place. And so, one of the things that an altar will do for you, it will get you clean again. It'll be a reminder, hey, I can't go in there with this on me. When I was a kid, growing up as a Catholic, every Saturday I had to go into the little box 
and talk to the priest and ask him to get my sins taken care of. You can go get it and then come back up, okay? And get my sins taken care of so that I could come to church on Sunday morning and take communion. Because I had to be clean before God. Good job. Um, There's this talk, there's this idea, there's this idea called consecration. How many of you have ever heard that? It is time for us to be quiet, okay? How many of you guys have heard of consecration? Anybody? What does it mean? It's, a, it's an old Christian word. What does it mean? Cleanliness, Cleanliness? okay. Any, uh, keep talking. I want to set aside. Set aside. Blessed. Blessed. Dedicated. Dedicated. To, God. to God, okay. The idea is, is that when I come into God's presence, I want to set aside this time. I want to make it clean. I want to make it right for God. So if I intentionally build an altar in my life and I have it there, one of the things it's going to do is it's going to keep me in right relationship with God to where I'm clean and pure and holy before him. I am consecrated before him. The next thing that happens in this idea of what do I get from having altar in my life is the altar becomes a place of sacrifice. In this story, we see where he said, they, he said, cleanse. Well, in, in order to cleanse, they had to give up their rings. They had to give up their earrings. And they buried them. They got rid of them. You see, a place, of, an altar is a place where God says to you, this thing in your life is a barrier between what you and I need to accomplish for your world, for your life, for my calling on you. And it could be that you've been a Christian for 57 years and everything's right between you and God. But God still says, there's this one thing that you and I need to deal with. And unless you sacrifice it, you will never go farther in your walk with God. And so having an altar in your life on a continual and regular basis, it will be an opportunity for God to clean out when he needs to clean out. And the question that he asked yesterday that, well, that I wrote down, I don't remember if he asked it, but I thought... Wow. If God and I sat down at an altar right now, what would I offer to him as a sacrifice? What in my life would he either call for me to sacrifice or would I willingly sacrifice? Think about that as you go about your day today and tomorrow. Number two, number three, an altar can be a place of service. Wait a minute, Pastor Bob, you're talking about going into my closet and praying. Not necessarily. Did you know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So your place of service can be an altar. Because you can be worshiping and bringing glory to God while you're typing a form in the office. While you're doing your laundry in the laundromat. While you're spreading one, one plus or one minus gravel out on somebody's property. You can make any place an altar and do unto the Lord or do as unto the Lord and bring glory to his name. My question that I wrote down as I was thinking this out yesterday. Is service a spiritual gift that only some have? Or is service something that all Christians should practice? Because if service is an altar, then it's a gift to God. So should only certain Christians do it? Or should all of us practice it? 
And I don't know that I have an answer to that because I haven't had a chance to process that yet. Number four, halfway through. Having an altar in your life will identify God to you. It says in this passage, where did it say? Verse 11. And God said to Jacob, I am God Almighty. See, God reveals who he is. Think about Moses when he stood before God in the burning bush. I had a friend years ago that I got, um, I, I, I got to spend an hour or two with her in an emergency room waiting room. Her husband was having a heart attack, at least that's what they thought. And we didn't know what was going on and we were out in the waiting room waiting. And we, you know, this woman is a friend of mine, I love her. I don't think she knows the Lord even to this day. But we got onto the topic of God during the, during the, the, the wait in the waiting room. And one of the things that she said was, I believe that there's a God, I just don't know which God to believe in. And the Lord had me say to her, because I wouldn't have said it on my own, well, just ask him who he is and he'll reveal himself to you. And instantly, my heart, my heart said, wait a minute, don't say that to her, because what if she hears Buddha? But the reality is, and this is what the Lord said to me after I thought that was, am I not strong enough and powerful enough and and able to identify who I really am if she comes to me seeking? So why would you fear? And so this idea is that as we come before God on a regular basis at an altar of prayer, not only do we know who he is, but we get to know his heart. We not only get to know his name and that he's called Jesus or father or the Holy Spirit. Okay, you can come right back. Um, Not only do we know that he's God, but he begins to reveal who he is to us as far as personality and his desires and his hopes and his dreams. And it's kind of like the thing that I thought of, and and this is a blending between this one and and number six, but it's kind of like sitting down with God in a counseling session. And he's just kind of sharing his heart with you and you're sharing your heart with him. And there's this thing that goes on at this altar. There's an intimacy that develops at this altar. It's almost like God takes you into his counsel at an altar. And that's kind of scary to me. Number five. If you have an altar in your life on a regular and continual basis, it will define you. God said to him, your name is no longer Jacob, meaning deceiver. You are now called Israel. (laughs) It's okay. You're now called Israel. God literally changed Jacob's identity. And in your times with God, in your times of an altar with God, he literally can change your identity if you spend time. Now, we're not talking psychobabble stuff here. But the reality is, if you're carrying junk, he can take it from you. He can help you to learn to forgive yourself. He can help you to have self-esteem, quote unquote. 
I can tell you when I was in Bible college, there came a point where I went to an altar of prayer during a service and I said, God, I know you've forgiven me for all of my past sins and I have forgiven myself. But I'm telling you, God, I still carry this thing of shame because every time I think about my past, I wince. And the Holy Spirit said, if you'll give it to me, I'll take it from you. And so I gave it to him by faith. There was no tears. There were no, you know, big explosive emotional thing. It was just, God, I want you to take this shame away from me. I'm done with it. And I literally stepped away from that altar of prayer. And indeed, there was no more shame. Do you see me wearing this color? This is, this is kind of a muted red. I could not wear red for 20 years of my life. I could not wear red. Yesterday and the day before, I wore orange. Why? Because I'm free from shame. Because that color red was a mark of bringing attention to me, or orange brought attention to me. And I couldn't have people looking at me because of who, who I was and how filthy I was and how horrible I was. No, I was already clean before God. I've been a Christian for 35 years. But I still carried this weight of, I'm no good. I'm horrible. Oh God, no one would ever, if they really knew the deepest part of me, no one would ever. And God said, do you want to get rid of that? Or do you want to carry that? Because I could take it away at an instant. I want you to take it away, God. See, if you have an intentional time of prayer, an intentional time of altar being with God, He can literally change who you are. He defines who you are. Pastor Gene basically said yesterday, and I quoted it, he said, he helps you to get over yourself. <laughs> Number six. If you have an intentional altar time with God, it will unlock your destiny. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Somebody read that out loud when you get to it. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are, create, we are God's workmanship, <clears throat> created in Jesus to do good works. God did this in advance. He prepared it and he foreordained it, that we were to do these things. You see, God, I hate this expression, God has a wonderful plan for your life. But it's true. I don't like it because it's become cliche. But God indeed has a plan and a purpose and if you will sit down with him on a continual and regular basis at an altar, he will unlock for you that which you don't know, but that what he can reveal to you. He can literally say to you, today, when you get to the office, you're going to struggle with something. And do not fear, for I will be with you. He'll tell it to you through scripture. He'll tell it to you through song that he brings to your mind. He'll tell it to you through a note or a journal entry that you reread. But God, through this interaction with him on a daily basis, can prepare you for what's coming in your day. <clears throat> he can unlock your destiny. And instead of you getting hit with it in the face and not knowing how to deal with it, he's already prepared your heart. 
Because you intentionally spent time with him at an altar. If you look at the, at the Hebrew people when they were in the wilderness, they did not move from their camp unless the pillar moved. And they daily looked out the doorway of their, camp, of their tent going, is it, yep, it's still there, we're here for the day. But if they looked out and saw that it had raised up, they started packing up because God directed their day-to-day steps. In addition to that, every single day, Moses walked out to the tent of meeting. So not only the church, but the leadership of the church went on a day-to-day basis to get the orders for the day from God. Bringing it into the New Testament. There's a story that we have of Jesus walking down the road and a man who's a leader in the synagogue comes up. His name is Jairus. And his daughter is dying. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, Master, you've got to come. My daughter is dying and you're the only one that can help her. And Jesus says, show me where she's at. Let's go. And while they're on the way, the woman who has the issue of blood, who suffered for 12 years, comes and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus stops in the middle of the road and says, who touched me? And the whole time, Jairus is standing there wringing his hands going, come on, come on. She's dying. Do you understand this? But he's dealing with this other situation. And then finally, as they're walking down the road, finally they're done with this. And Jairus says, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, we're almost there. The servants come up and say, stop bothering the master. She died. What did Jesus say to Jairus? Sorry, I'm a minute late. Too bad. See ya. No, what he said to Jairus was, don't listen to them. Just believe. And then they walked into the house of death and Jesus changed it into a house of life and house of celebration and house of praise. And you see, if Jairus hadn't listened to Jesus in that time prior to and just looked at the circumstances, he would have lost his daughter. But because he listened to Jesus and had the intimate face to face with Jesus and Jesus gave him the encouragement, do not listen Just believe. Then he was able to walk in confidence and in faith to his house where he had already been told she's dead. And Jesus said, just believe, just believe. And then Jesus made the miracle happen. See, he didn't make the miracle happen while they were still on the road. Jairus had to walk in his faith for a little while before he saw the evidence of his faith and his hope. The last thing about this before we move on to the very last one is, I talked about this a second ago. I said, God brings you into his counsel. Can you imagine if during your intimacy with God, during your time with God, if you were so disciplined in meeting with God on a regular basis and had this altar time all the time with God that you knew his voice and you were clean before him and everything was right before God, that you got to the point where he could actually sit down and chew on stuff with you and say, I have something going on in the Two Rivers community that I need some help with, Renee. Would you be willing to sit down with me and hash this out? And he literally takes you into his war room. Where you get to be a part of the decision making of what God is going to do in your community. Can you imagine the great privilege that would be? If you had gotten to the point in your walk with God where he could trust you. To take you into his council room. So your opinion could be heard on the matter. Having an altar. Having an altar on a continual basis can get you to that point in your walk 
And then finally, having an altar in your life will release your inheritance. Chapter, uh, chapter 35 of Genesis, verses 11 and 12. God said to Jacob, <clears throat> I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. When I was in the Air Force, <clears throat> we were taught a psychological thing that we were supposed to use in our in our being all that we could be for the United States Air Force. And it was a, a teaching from a man named Abraham Maslow. It was called self-actualization. And basically what it means is, is that you get to the point in your life where all of your needs are met and all of your things are going on and you have everything lined up correctly to where you can be who you were created to be. They don't use that terminology. But that's the idea of doing self-actualization. And I don't subscribe to that, honestly. It's, it's, it's mumbo-jumbo as far as I'm concerned. However, I believe that God can bring you to the point in your walk with Him where you literally can look at yourself and where you're at and say, I am literally living in exactly the way that God created me to be. I'm who he wanted me to be. I am how he wanted me to be. I am where he wants me to be. I am literally being for God. And it is a benefit that only comes from intentionally establishing an altar in your life on a continual basis. See, you look at people. I can remember throughout my 30-some years of Christianity... I, I've looked at people and said, oh my word, if I could only get to that point in my walk with God where I'm like them. But you see, it's just like me, the fat 275 pound man who can't lift up 50 pounds because I'm too weak, looking at Alex Sporleader going, if only I could be like him. But what I don't acknowledge in that statement is that Alex spends hours a day lifting weights and punishing his body to keep it strong and healthy and active. And I don't have the desire to go through that process. <clears throat> I'm too lazy to get up at five in the morning and pound against a punching bag and lift weights and do cardio exercise. And for that reason, I'm a 52-year-old fat man who can't carry a 50-pound bag of, of, of gravel anywhere on this property without stopping every 10 feet to catch my breath. And if you liken that to your walk with Christianity, am I still a Christian in that state? Yes, I am. My relationship with Jesus is just as solid as it was the day I got saved. But am I able to be used of God in a way that he would like to? No, I'm not. And it's not his fault. It's my fault. Because I have not been intentional and been disciplined to make sure that I did what I was supposed to do to be ready so that the moment he asked me to do something, I was able and ready to do it. And there was no limitation and no barrier. And I'm saying the same thing to you folks. 
you can just skate by in this world and have your little Christianity and go to church and have your ticket to get out of the fire and you're good to go. I guarantee it, you're good to go. You'll get up there and he'll say, come on in, I welcome you, I love you, I've always loved you. And Jesus' blood indeed does cleanse you from all sin. But if you want to be able to walk up there with this really cool thing that you sent ahead of time that you could present. Old timers used to call it the crown that I was going to lay at his feet. In order to do that, in order to store up treasure in heaven as Jesus said it, you have to spend time daily at an altar with God. Learning who he is, learning who you are, making sure your life is clean, getting all of the barriers out of the way, hearing your definition of who you are and who you're supposed to be, having God unlock your destiny before you, and then finally, standing and living in the inheritance that he has for you. It's not just pie in the sky by and by, folks. Literally, it could be today. You could have an inheritance. And it ain't God who's holding out on you. Last thing, we're done. In the Old Testament times, and even in Jesus' time, the people of God had to go to where God was. They had to go to the temple. They had to go to the altar. But Jesus changed all of that. And he told us, when I go back to be with the Father, I'm going to, the Father's going to send to you his Holy Spirit, and he will be with you always. And Paul said to us that it, we are to pray without ceasing. So there isn't this mindset of, well, in order to have time with God, I have to go anywhere. I can have time with God anywhere. It's up to my Attention, my discipline, my attitude, my heart. So what I'm saying to you is don't get caught up in the, well, I got to go build an altar or I don't have a space in my place. Just get into the mindset and the attitude of always being before God. Make the front seat of your car your altar. Make the bathroom third stall on the left your altar at work. So that when you need to go talk with God, you just quietly just step aside. Make the third washing machine at the laundromat your altar as you're loading your clothes into it, wherever. And then walk in this and say, Lord, I'm being intentional. And I'm asking you to fulfill your part of it. Provide for me that which I need, God. Meet with me. Be with me, God. I think that's it. At least that's all my written notes. So, thank you, Pastor Gene. Excellent work. I pray, God, that you would work in the hearts and lives of these people. I pray, God, that you would take the words that have been spoken this morning and that they would just settle into our hearts, that we would chew on them this week. Lord God, let us not forget the words that we've heard, but let this be something that just rubs us and rubs us and irritates us to the point where we have to deal with it. And Lord God, I thank you and praise you for these kids. It is a joy to have these kids in this church this morning. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name I pray. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each one of you. Go in His peace.